Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Thank you, Ryan, for that prayer. And that is my prayer for us this morning is that we are people who become immune to things. Sometimes we can hear this message of the birth of Christ, that this passage of Scripture, and we can hear it and we know it. We know the details, but sometimes we walk away and forget being in awe of really is what's taking place in that passage. So, as I proclaim the Word to you this morning, hear and see the God of the Scriptures. As a way of introduction, I was pondering, have you ever thought about how many people that have been born since the beginning of time? Have you just thought about that? Since the beginning of time, how many people have been born? According to the U.S. Census, it is estimated that there have been 108 billion people born since the beginning of time. Our current world population is estimated 8 billion people. The population in the United States is roughly 325 million and when you look at a population of Alabama, it is approximately 4.8 million people. That's a lot of people being born. A lot of people. So it brings me to my next question that I have. Out of all those 108 billion people, how many really have impacted the world in some extraordinary way? How many out of that 108 billion people have impacted the world in some extraordinary way? Over the years, it would be safe to say millions have done that. Here's just a few examples that we have today that in some way, some form, some fashion, these guys have impacted their culture, the society. Thomas Edison... He's an American inventor and businessman. His most important invention included the electric light bulb. Thank you. Over the years, excuse me, uh, he invented the photograph, the motion picture camera, an electric car, an electric power station. I'd say that impacted our society, has it? Steve Jobs. He is co-founder of Apple Computers and leading exponent of the personal computer revelation, revolution. excuse me. Jobs oversaw the development of key innovations in the mobile technology revolution, such as iPhone, iPad, and iPod. How many of us have iPhones? Yeah. yeah. Martin Luther. German monk who became the father of the Protestant Reformation. He is most widely known for criticizing aspects of the Roman Catholic Church. 
In particular, he believed that it was the Bible and not the Roman Catholic Church, which was the source of legitimacy for interpreting the Word of Christ. I thought this was pretty revealing here. Martin Luther also translated the Bible into German, making it the most accessible to the general public. Wow. Jonathan Edwards, an American Christian revivalist preacher, Edwards was a leading figure in the reform movement of Christian evangelism, which swept America in the 18th century. He gave a classic sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We see some biblical men here. David, second king to Israel, writer of numerous psalms, and a man after God's own heart. Moses, he was a Hebrew prophet. He delivered the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. He was a leader and lawgiver for the Israelites during their years in the wilderness. John the Baptist, he was born to Elizabeth who was barren. He was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. And he came, he was sent from God to bear witness about Jesus so that all might believe in Him. A pretty important job there. Paul, before his conversion, he persecuted the church. And after his conversion, he became a leading church planner and missionary to the Gentiles. And he was one of the earliest and most influential interpreter of Jesus' message and teachings. You see... All of these births were important to society and have impacted our lives in some way today. Those, these individuals had a mother and father. Their childhood most likely looked like yours and mine. They re- received some type of education. And then after becoming adults, their lives changed the world in some way. But you see... There is one birth that surpasses all of these and many more. There is one birth unlike any other in history, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. His birth was unique. It was foretold by the prophets. It was anticipated by many for years. And His birth was announced by the angel of the Lord. I wouldn't say mine was announced. (laughs) Or yours either. You say it even makes me think, if Jesus had not been born, there would be no gospel. If Jesus had not been born, there would be no hope for mankind. If Jesus had not been born, there would be no forgiveness of sin. If Jesus had not been born, God would not have kept His promise. If Jesus had not been born, God's presence would not be with us today. We can go on about the reasons if Jesus Christ had not been born, but there is hope for mankind. The birth of Jesus did take place. Jesus did save and is saving His people from their sins. God did keep His promise and His presence will always be with us. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, the big ideal here that I see in Matthew and what he's trying to get across to us this morning is this. For God's people, salvation has come through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ just as God promised and His presence will always be with us. God's people. For God's people, salvation has come through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, just as God promised, and His presence will always be with us. And so we see here in Matthew, and because this is a standalone sermon, I just kind of want to give a little, um, little background to it, a little setting. Matthew is establishing both the humanity and deity of Jesus Christ. In verses 1 through 17, he's explaining the genealogy of Christ. His lineage. In verses 18 through 25, he's explaining the birth of Christ. And so what Matthew is doing, he is writing down the facts. In, another, in an essence, he is apologetically explaining and defending the kingship of Jesus Christ. Is what he's doing. Here are the facts. I'm writing them down for you. His main audience is the Jews and religious leaders. And so I believe that Matthew wants us to know four truths from this passage. He wants, to know, he wants us to know four truths. One, know the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Two, know that this child is the Savior of His people. Three, Know that God is a promise-keeping God. And lastly, know that the presence of God is always with us. I believe Matthew wants us to know that. As he's writing down the facts, as he's explaining it to his readers, to the Jews, 
to His religious audience, and even to us today. He wants us to know this. So, let's begin. First of all, know the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. Verses 18-25. through 25. Matthew starts off and says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It took place in this way. That's the first fact that he gives out. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It settles all the arguments. It it settles all the miscommunications and the assumptions of what took place. Matthew is giving the details of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he wants his readers to know the story. Notice that Matthew uses the word Jesus Christ here. In other verses following here, he just uses the word Jesus. But here he uses Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah, the Anointed One. In other words, Matthew is saying the birth of God-man, the Messiah, the Anointed One, took place this way. And see, Matthew writes the details that he is sharing in this story through Joseph's perspective. And not so much Mary's. And so as he's writing this down, he's really actually looking at through the account of Joseph here. Uh, Luke does it through Mary's perspective. So this morning I want to try to convey the story to you through Joseph. Through his perspective. Through his story. And so for you note takers, I I don't have it up on the, the board, but for you note takers, we're going to see... Joseph's situation. We're going to see Joseph's dilemma. We're going to see Joseph's dream. And we're going to see Joseph's decision. So, for you today, men, women, you're here right now. Put yourself in Joseph and Mary's position. Put yourself in their shoes. It's 2016. And you're in this situation. How can this happen? My fiance, Mary, she is pregnant. How could it have happened? We have been engaged for almost a year, and soon we will be married. You see, and then, then will we only consummate the marriage when we are married. What are the people going to think? What are they going to say? The whole town is going to be talking right now. Did you hear? Mary's pregnant. Oh my gosh, the accusations that they're going to say right now. Who was it? Did Mary go out and have an affair? What am I going to do? Man, this is a situation that I just can't comprehend right now. Wow. Mary's pregnant. I'm not the father. The townspeople are are saying all this stuff. Man, i got a bad situation going on. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What are my options? What are my options right now? What are my options? Okay. You know, I don't want to bring Mary any shame. That's the last thing I want to do. 
I don't want the townspeople to look down upon her and say all kinds of accusations and, and slander her in ways. That's just not right. I'm just going to be resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, that's what I can do according to the law. I can just divorce her. I will go to bed tonight, get some good rest, I will sleep on it, and in the morning, maybe the Lord will give me peace with my decision that I have made. And so, I'm going to bed now. What a situation that I have, and I need to sleep on it. During the night, Joseph slept. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Man, I am glad night is over and morning has come. I've had a good night's sleep, but there's one thing that's on my mind. It's this dream. The Lord came to me in this dream, and He spoke to me, and He said an angel appeared before me, and, and, and here the, the angel said, Mary, your wife, take her, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and you will call Him Jesus, for He will save His people. Wow. Is that what you're telling me to do, Lord? Is that my decision? Is that what I need to do? Or do I need to just divorce her? It would be easier so much now, Lord, just to divorce her. If I take her, what's going to happen? If I take her as my wife, well, the town will still talk. The town will still throw lies at us. What will our parents think? Well, this is my decision. I will take Mary as my wife. I will take her. What would you do? Men, you've been engaged to a woman for a year. She comes up pregnant. And the first thing you do is look and say, well, who? Who were you with? What did you do? Why did you have such an affair? And in today's time, we would just easily say, ah, it's over. And we would move on. But the Lord come to you in a, in a dream and say, no, no. The baby that your fiancé is conceived is the Son of God, is Jesus Christ, and He will save His people. Would you still divorce her? Would you still put her to the road? Kick her to the side? Call it done? How would you handle the situation? Joseph could have done that. He could have divorced her. But he was a just man, meaning he was a devoted man who obeyed the law of Moses. What Joseph did by faith and obedience to the Lord 
was He showed mercy to Mary. He showed mercy to Mary. He took the shame. He took the accusations upon Himself. He did that. He took that. He bore that. Matthew here is showing us that the virgin birth is a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit. Wow! It's miraculous. It's a virgin birth has come, conceived in Mary, and she will bring forth a son who will save his people. That's miraculous. That is miraculous. And Joseph trusted that. Joseph trusted the Lord. He was obedient and he obeyed the command. Secondly, know that this child is the Savior of his people. Matthew wants us to know that this child is the Savior of his people. And he writes, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. So there's a couple of things I want to say here. First of all, all notice His name. Matthew says His name is Jesus. Jesus was a common name to the Jews back then. It was just a common, ordinary name. But here Jesus is transla- the transliteration of the Hebrew word Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. It means Jehovah is salvation. In other words, Jehovah has come personally to achieve His saving work. That's what Matthew is saying. Jehovah is coming. He's come. He's personally here to achieve His saving work. We read in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no other, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Well, we also see His mission here. His mission is to save His people from their sins. His mission is to save His people from their sins. So I want to look at a couple of words here. Save. It refers to deliverance from physical danger, disease, or even death. But here it refers to what is central. Salvation from sin. Salvation from sin. And that is Jesus' mission. He's came to save His people from their sin. His people here. To Joseph, His people would primarily be the Jews. That's the way He would have have taken it. The readers at this time would have taken it that way. But Matthew has a broader view. He is speaking about the, also about the Gentiles who would become disciples of the Messiah and members of His people. And we see that portraying out in the New Testament how salvation has come to the Jews and the Gentiles. Sin. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. We have a sin nature. 
because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve, and because of their fall, we have a sin nature. And Jesus Christ came to save His people from their sin. And so, right now, I want to share the gospel, the good news. And, and the Jews at this time, they, when, when Matthew said that, when Matthew said that Jesus, His name will be Jesus, and He will save His people from their sins, the Jews knew what that meant. And so for us today, let me share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. Let me share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, if you fade out on me right now, listen to this. Listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God created and owns everything. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Also God in, uh, is perfectly holy. Leviticus 19.2 He says, You shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. And God requires perfect obedience to His law. James 2.10 says, For Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. So we see a perfect picture of God. And then we see man. We see man was made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. But you know, man has broken God's law. We've broken God's law. Romans 3.10 tells us, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, we man will pay the eternal penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wage of the sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And man has no way of saving himself with good works. By any means. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And so we see a holy God and we see man who is sinful, that has a sinful nature and cannot save himself. But here we see Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the earth as both God and sinless man. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus demonstrated God's love by dying on the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And in 2, first, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15.4, we see that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. That He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day He's according to the Scriptures here. You see, we have a clear picture of who God is. A holy God. A righteous God. And He calls us to be obedient to the law perfectly. 
If we miss one, we, must, we have missed them all. We've missed the mark. And we see that man is sinful and we need to pay the penalty. That means we have a wrath to be absorbed by a just God. But we see that Jesus Christ took that on. We see that Jesus Christ came and He went to the cross. His mission was to take the penalty of His sins of the, His people. Do you see that? Do you grasp that this morning? Matthew is saying that this morning here. Here the incarnation has come. Here the Messiah has come. Here the Savior has come. He has come to seek and to save the lost. His people. It's more than just a birth. It's more than just a time we celebrate Christmas. It's more than that. Your Savior is here. He's here. So sinner, me too. Sinner, we must repent of all that dishonors God. Isaiah 55 says, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. You know, sinners, you must believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. If you believe in your heart. So my question is to you, so my question is to you, will you repent and believe in Jesus Christ? Will you? Will you this day? Acts 17.30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that in your heart? That's what Matthew is saying this morning. Jesus, Jesus is here, is born to save His people from their sins. Will you believe? Will you believe in this great news? The good news? Matthew wants us also to know that God is a promise-keeping God. I love how Matthew is putting all this together and I hope you're following along with it. He wants us to know about the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he wants to know that this child is the Savior. And then He wants us to know that God is a promise-keeping God. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
When you look through scriptures, there are many promises from God. Within each promise, God pledges that something will or will not be done, or given or come to pass. You see, these are not casual promises. They are rock-solid commitments made by a holy God. And because He is faithful, His children can have full assurance that God has promised will indeed come to pass. We have full assurance of that. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. Here's just a few promises that God have has made. In the Old Testament, God promised to bless Abraham through his descendants. The whole world, excuse me, God promised to bless Abraham and through his descendants, the whole world. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a promise. God promised Israel to be their God and to make them His people. Leviticus 26, 12 and 3. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. God promised that if we search for Him, He will find us. Deuteronomy 4.29 But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. God promised Israel that their sin would be forgiven, their prosperity restored, and their nation healed. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God's also made promises in the New Testament. God promised salvation to all whom believe in His Son. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's promised that. God promised that all things will work out for good for His children. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for God. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things. All things. He's promised that. God promised new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Can we say that we've all experienced that if we believe in Jesus Christ? Are you here today and have you experienced that new life? The old has passed away. That's a faithful promise. He's promised and it's came to truth. God promised to finish the work He started in us. 
Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Yes. He started it. He will finish it. Well, we have some promises of Jesus in the, in the gospel. For some of us today, we need this. Jesus promised rest. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. He says, You will find rest for your souls. Oh, dear soul, find rest in Christ today. It's a promise of His to you. Jesus promised abundant life to those who follow Him. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promised His disciples power from on high. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit was promised. It came upon the disciples. And the disciples have turned this world upside down. And God today... The same Holy Spirit that He has promised us can use us to turn and impact this community, this county, this nation, this earth for the glory of God. It's a promise. But there are many, many, many more promises of God that we can be listed here. We could go on and on and on. Be sure of this that all of them find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All of them find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. No, how, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and yes and yes in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. Glory be to God. He is a promise-keeping God. He is faithful to it. Fourthly, know that the presence of God is with us. Know that the presence of God with us. Matthew wants to show us that. He says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's just not Matthew putting that in there, you know, just to make it sound woo to you. Matthew quotes a lot from the Old Testament. And here he's quoting from Isaiah 7, chapter 14. Matthew is saying to us right now, this child, Jesus Christ, 
He is God with us. He is God with us. And we can see this clearly in John, in the Gospel of John as we've read this morning. Verses 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Meditate on that. God with us. With us. One of God's incommunicable attributes is His omnipresence. Omnipresence is the unlimited nature of God or His ability to be everywhere at all times. I think it's wonderfully expressed through David in Psalms 139, 7-10. Listen, as David writes, Where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Shiloh, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. One writer explains it this way. There is nowhere in the entire universe or land, on land or sea, in heaven or in hell, where one can flee from God's presence. Nowhere. He is with us. Consider this this morning about Jesus. He was with God before the beginning of time. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life. His mission was to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. He was crucified, died, buried, and rose again just as He promised. And He is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He promised that the Holy Spirit would be with us forever. Jesus said that He will never leave you or forsake you. And in the Great Commission, He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. You say, He came over 2,000 years ago to Mary. And Mary conceived a son. His name was Jesus and He will save His people from their sin. He's with us now. And for God's people... One day, one day, we will be gathered around the throne with this Jesus, with our Messiah, with our Lord and Savior. So Matthew wants to know, us to know the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that this, this child is the Savior of His people. He wants us to know that God is a promise-keeping God. And He wants us to know that the presence of God is always with us. And so, let me share four applications with us today. How do we take this away? How do we go from here and go back to our normal lives? And how do we apply this to our lives? 
Number one, understand the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Understand the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus was conceived in the womb of His mother Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. The virgin birth. Christianity hinges on it. It's our proof. Since Jesus was conceived by the agents of the Holy Spirit, God was His Father. His lineage was a holy one. Therefore, Jesus was able to save His people from their sins. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of Christmas. So understand the significance of it. Secondly, believe the gospel, especially during Christmas. Believe the gospel, especially during Christmas. Believe that God is holy and that we are helpless sinners, hopeless without a Savior. But Jesus Christ has come. Believe that He died and rose again for sinners and that this great salvation is enjoyed by faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that. Stand on it. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, believe it. Trust in Him. I call you today to run to Christ. Thirdly, trust the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. We can trust Him. We can trust God's promises because He is not a man. He's not human. He doesn't have a fallen nature. He's never sinned. He has never lied. He is the essence of a righteousness. He is the truth and only speaks the truth. He is unchanging. And because of His infinite wisdom, when He makes a promise, it's the best promise possible He can make to His children. That's good news for us today. Believe it. Believe it. Fourthly, Take comfort that God is always with us. Do this for me now. Bow your heads. Bill and Candace, you come. Oh, child of God here this morning, take comfort that God is always with us. One writer states it this way. Consider who this is who promises to be with you. This is the God who spoke the world into being. The God who rules over all creation. Every star in the sky, every mountain peak, every grain of sand, the sun and the moon, all the oceans and all the deserts of the earth. The God whom myriads of angels continually worship and sing praise to. 
the God whose glory is beyond our imagination and whose holiness is beyond our comprehension. This God is with you. This God is with you.